0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware plus more. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And of course, also by Liquidware, the platform-agnostic workspace solutions provider. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. Late this week it was announced that TA Associates, a US investment firm, have acquired iGel, our eGel. Jed Aries, the iGel CEO, said the TA Associates deal is providing the financial and management muscle for iGel to take its rightful place as the secure edge OS standard. TA have some other interesting previous investments including AVG Technologies and Confluence. In the announcement article, CRN.com go through some case studies and push hard on the COVID-19 work-from-home shift as a boon for the company. Throughout, they use the term edge OS too, so they're kind of pushing that narrative of being on the edge, supporting remote endpoints, and that sort of thing. EGEL has been third in the market for thin clients, but have, in my opinion, been the one in the market space with the greatest momentum. As a customer, I also find their management much easier and slicker than their competitors. I hope this is a positive for the company and the investment company allow them to operate as they were before, but with a larger budget. A silent partner type situation, if you will. Congratulations to everyone at igel This is thoroughly deserved. PC World had a pretty interesting report this week on claims made by Intel. They said its testing shows that an 11th generation Core i7-1185G7 processor can match or greatly exceed the M1's performance in a MacBook Pro in both native and non-native applications. In battery life, they say it's pretty much a wash They say the MacBook Pro wouldn't pass muster to be certified as an Evo laptop. They say the M1 just won't run a lot of software and that the new MacBooks have a range of compatibility issues from multiple monitor to game controllers as well as many documented software plugin problems. The article seems to have a pop at Apple fanboys getting up in arms about the results, which Intel claimed to have receipts to prove their claims. I don't consider myself an Apple fanboy, but I feel like some of the data being displayed in the report that was created by Intel is pretty selective. But you know what? That is something every vendor does anyway. You have a point going into the study that you want to make and you use a chart to illustrate your own point. You pick the areas that you feel that you're definitely going to be superior in and you present those. So I'm sure there's other areas where the M1 processor would soundly defeat the Intel range of processors, but that's not going to be displayed because this was a report created by Intel. But interesting nonetheless, it seems like gaming is an obvious area of weakness, but Apple has never really tried to go after that gaming market either. So that's not a huge loss, I would think, to people who are already uh, MacBook Pro users. And for the compatibility of applications, from my understanding, applications will mostly work, they just might not utilize the optimization with the processor. But interesting nonetheless to see where Intel are firing their shots on this. There was a pretty scary story by The Verge earlier this week that suggested a bug with the Android app for Slack may have exposed users' credentials in plain text. The story later got updated with Slack, stating that the logs would be private unless users had a rooted phone with protections turned off. The company also says this is only affecting users who logged in with their email addresses and passwords between December 21st to January 21st. So it's unclear if they mean uh, authenticated in new or if that also includes people who are using the Android app who just like launched into the already logged in app. That's pretty unclear there. Slack says it hasn't seen any unauthorized access and that it's already emailed all affected users and invalidated their passwords. So if you use the Android app, it's still a good idea to make sure you update the app and change your password, but Slack seemed pretty confident that they've taken care of this one and prompted people to change their passwords who may have been affected. In a post about the recent patches for Windows, today Microsoft released a set of fixes affecting Windows TCP IP implementation that include two critical remote code execution vulnerabilities, CVE-2021-24074 and also-24094, and also an important denial of service vulnerability, which is 24086. They say that the two remote code execution vulnerabilities are complex, which make it difficult to create functional exploits. So they are not likely to be used in the short term. And they believe attackers will be able to create denial of service exploits much more quickly and expect all three issues might be exploited with a denial of service attack shortly after release. Thus, they are recommending customers move quickly to apply Windows security updates this month. ZDNet has reported on the exposure of data relating to more than 102 million mobile phone lines from two mobile operators in Brazil. Data that was compromised includes names, taxpayer registration numbers, minutes spent on phone calls, and other details, including info relating to the Brazilian president, Jair Bolsonaro. It's believed the attacker was based outside of Brazil and has already been selling material taken from the attack onto the dark web and a few quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week but group room have announced that you can now stream a youtube live event such as a keynote or conference feed into a group room space this would allow teams and or breakout groups to see and discuss these events casually in a spatially aware environment You can also now create video playlists for work or play and add them to your group room space to create watch parties or signage for events. So very cool to see group room rapidly getting better and innovating. I think they're in a very unique position as the work from home strategy continues forward, particularly with conferences being remote, likely for 2021 and possibly for part of 2022 depending how the world handles the vaccination rollout. So pretty cool stuff and worth keeping tabs on group room. A new version of the Citrix HDX real-time media engine has been released and brings with it support for macOS Big Sur. It's that time of year again. The survey for the State of EUC 2021 by VDI Like a Pro is now live. If you'd like to contribute to a very useful community resource, it would be appreciated. I look forward to reading the results of these surveys every year. So please, if you have the time, fill in the survey. Congrats to podcast sponsor, Goliath Technologies, who were ranked in the top five Citrix solution providers for 2021 by Beyond Exclamation for their efforts during the 2020 pandemic to help organizations manage the sudden surge in remote workers and to troubleshoot Citrix issues faster. Congrats to all new and renewed VMware experts who were just announced this week. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. There was a new episode this week from the Frontline Chatter podcast, hosted by Shane Kleinert and Jarian Gibson. They had a chat with Chuck Brady and Nico Zeke from Liquid, who have a really interesting product. If you want to find out more about their product and also just hear from the guys, check out this episode of the Frontline Chatter podcast for yourself. And of course, I will provide a link to that episode with this episode of this podcast on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 163. Nick A. Callen has a great blog post on Windows 10 20H2 and the new Edge, plus information on keeping your desktops up to date when deploying the operating system. He correctly points out that the browser is constantly updating and you can get a message to state that the browser is out of date if maybe you're deploying with an old version of the browser or the browser already within the OS as it is with 20H2. So how do you get the OS out there with the old browser but also keep that browser up to date as it's rolling out? And Nick A's blog post is about just that, so check that out. In not a new blog post, but one that I was reading this week and I thought was excellent. There was a blog post by Ray Davis on Windows 2016 duplication for helping to manage the disk spent required, the disk spend required for FSLogix profile containers. It was a pretty comprehensive article. It's not just talking about the shrink disk script. It's talking about some of your approaches and how to handle restrictions and applications and more things for keeping your FSLogix profile containers in check. Both Guy Leach and Eric from ZenApp, both the amazing Guy Leach and also Eric from ZenApp Blog, were tweeting this week about their efforts with MSIX app attached with SIMFS. I think we're calling it SIMFS. <laughs> it's C-I-M-F-S or CIM files, if that's what you wanna go with. But essentially, it's gonna be a better or more optimized way for handling your app attach layers. But they were sharing some of their efforts around PowerShell scripting and just commands in general for handling the mounting, unmounting, and listing of these SIMS files. And finally, Nasruddin Bencherchali had a pretty great series of blog posts actually. I think it's only part two and there may be more parts coming, but it's on the topic of common tools and techniques used by threat actors and malware. Personally, one of the things I really got interested in over the course of doing this podcast when researching things about like phishing attacks, ransomware attacks, and all that stuff, I've become pretty interested in the information security end of things, the InfoSec side stuff. Even though it's not my day job, I find it interesting. So this type of blog post is right up my alley. This is what I do and what I read for fun outside of my day job. And you might find it interesting too. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.